Welcome to Entrepreneur Mindset Reset, the podcast for entrepreneurs who want to learn from fellow business owners how to decrease the chaos and increase their sense of fulfillment while becoming more profitable. I'm your host, Tracy Trapesky. I'm an executive coach and consultant and mindset mastery expert. I'm also mom to two amazing teenagers and a menagerie of adopted furry family members. In each episode, we explore challenges, opportunities, and actionable tips to help you move your business forward while staying true to your vision. You'll hear from me and my guests how we've tackled some of the pitfalls and unexpected surprises that entrepreneurship delivers. We're the real deal, and we're here to inspire and encourage you. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today for a new episode of Entrepreneur Mindset Reset. Tracy, and I'm so excited to share today's episode with you. Before we dive in, I'd like to remind you that your reviews and ratings help other entrepreneurs like you and me find us to partake in these free resources, connection, and valuable business mindset insights. So please do take a few minutes to leave your review on Apple to support us in our growth and to help your fellow entrepreneurs find our amazing guest stories. As you know, the entrepreneur's journey can feel lonesome and isolating, and I am on a mission to help entrepreneurs break through isolation and frustration and achieve the success and fulfillment they've always dreamed of. I do this in two ways, both through my business and through this podcast. In my business, I will tell you that my niche chose me, much like coaching really chose me. Over the years, many physicians, practitioners, and psychologists who own their practices have come to me to help them tackle the chaos and frustration of owning their business and free up their time so they can enjoy the fruits of their labor, all while serving their patients with the utmost care and professionalism. These amazing humans all have one thing in common. They are all puzzle solvers of some kind and want to help their patients get to the root cause of what ails them so they can heal and in turn live their most fulfilled embodied life. So if you're what we here at Tracy Trapeski International call an INRP, which it stands for Practitioner of Integrative Naturopathic or Regenerative Medicine, or you're a psychologist and you're struggling to strike a balance while being the everything person in your practice, let's have a conversation about how you can take back your time and fall back in love with your practice. So to do that, to have a conversation, go to tracytrebesky.com forward slash medical hyphen practices to schedule your complimentary strategy session. There's a link in the show notes. So just scroll down to the bottom of the show notes and click through. Don't you have to know how to spell my name right? All right. So let's get to today's guest, Richard Flint of Flint Incorporated, a company specializing in the training and development of individuals, companies, and associations. My conversation with Richard was deep and really interesting. I especially enjoyed listening to his thoughts on leadership and team building. You'll want to listen carefully to his take on using the word team to refer to employees or staff. It made me think. I loved the question he said we should all be asking ourselves with respect to success, which is, what is the price I'm willing to pay? He relates this to the concept that there is a big difference between excitement and enthusiasm. Listen carefully to that part. Take notes. It's super interesting. So Richard says that we need to have purpose, agenda, and commitment. And with that, we need to use the three Ds, which is desire, determination, and discipline. We talked about doing inner work, and I was struck by what he said about 
what we don't confront and that whatever we don't confront, we validate. I'm going to repeat that. Whatever we don't confront, we validate. I'm not going to lie. That kind of blew my mind. It still blows my mind thinking thinking over it. He shares what he believes are the best leadership qualities. And I think this is really important for entrepreneurs because we are leaders. We are the everything people in our business in the beginning. And over time, when we hire what I call team, um, you know, we need to be we need to be prepared to step into a leadership role and take our hands off of the day to day. So these are the leadership qualities that Richard says every leader must do. They must embody this. They must listen. They must enable their team to be their best, adapt, direct, energize, and revisit. Richard drops so many wisdom bombs. You'll want to take notes for sure. I really appreciated his slightly different but very deep perspective on leadership. And as an entrepreneur, I think you will too. Everything we do as entrepreneurs requires us to wear the leader's hat, as I mentioned. And Richard shows us how to do it well. So grab a beverage or a snack and settle in to listen to Richard and his amazing journey. Richard, it is so good to see you. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, Tracy, I am honored to have this time with you and I'm looking forward to our discussion. Me too. When we met the last time, not too long ago, I just really enjoyed our conversation and I'm excited to go really deep. So before we dive in, I love to ask our guests where you're located in the world. Well, I am in Royal Palm Beach, Florida, which is right next door to West Palm Beach and Palm Beach. Uh, I've been here for, wow, Tracy, I've been here for going on 42 years now. Wow. So you, so you like Florida. <laughs> I do. I came here on the staff of First Baptist Church uh, here in West Palm Beach and came here as the director of the counseling center for the church. And then when I left the church staff and I ran a private counseling center for a little bit here and then I wrote some magazine articles. I got some international attention and had groups asking me if I would come and share my research and my insights with them. And I did it on a very limited basis, Tracy, because I wasn't sure what God wanted me to do with my life. And then I woke up one morning and realized this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And for the past 32 years, I have traveled this globe from one end to the other, sharing my research and my insights with people. And what I do has become uh, my ministry. It's my way of helping people uh, get out of the rut they choose and find the life they're supposed to have. Mm. That sounds like very fulfilling work. Oh, it is. I mean, uh, you know, there gotta be times, even with what you do, you wonder sometimes, am I really making a difference? Is this worth the energy, the time, the effort that I put into this? And then I'll get an, an email from somebody just thanking me. I had one this morning from a lady who said, I was in your audience 10 years ago in South Africa, mm. and I've never forgotten you. And something you said during that time just really has stuck with me. And it's time that I tell you, thank you. That made my day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Make your week. <laughs> that's, oh, that's so beautiful. I think that's the beauty of doing transformative work that, you know, it, it's the beauty and it's sort of a downside, right? Because we put so much of our hearts and our souls and our personal energy into the work that we do with our clients, with our audiences, that 
we don't always hear back from people because they're so busy transforming. <laughs> so when, when we do hear back, it's just like this moment of like, wow, now I understand why I feel magnetically drawn to do this work. I do it in a different way, but I can relate very much to, to feeling like it's a calling more than a vocation. And I like your word calling because that's what it is. Mm -hmm. You and I understanding the uniqueness of our talents because mm -hmm. our talents are unique. And it's understanding the uniqueness of our talents and then taking those talents and finding the stage to stand on that creates the visibility. And throughout our life, you know, and you know this, I know this from our conversation we had the other day, our stages change. Mm. And we always have to be strong enough in our belief, our trust, and our faith to see that next stage not as something that is, but an opportunity to continue. Mm. And I love the word continue because it always has forward progress to it. So many people are afraid of new stages. And if you're afraid of the new stage, that's where you get stuck in what I call the circle of sameness. You know there's something more for your life, and all of a sudden, the doorway is there. And it's like the, what is it, the TV show, The Price is Right. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you look at that door, and is the price tag something you're willing to pay? Mm. That's one of the biggest questions in life that calls, that allows us to be able to see, accept, and move to the next stage of life. I find so many people, they, they get stuck because they feel the price tag is too great. Mm -hmm. And that is because of their fear, uh, not even because of their enthusiasm. Wow. Yeah. Can you repeat that? It's be, people choose not to. Because of their fear. Yeah not their enthusiasm. When we spoke the other day, you said something about enthusiasm that I, I wrote it down. I'd have to go back through my notes, but I was really intrigued by that. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, we were talking about the difference between excitement and enthusiasm. Mm, right. That excitement to me is a negative in so many ways because excitement, Tracy, is built in a world of possibilities. Mm. And, you know, possibilities create energy. Not necessarily motivation, but they create a moment of energy because they fit into our world of what if. But if that possibility doesn't live up to our expectation, then the result is frustration, disappointment, and an elementary form of depression of what didn't happen. But if that possibility, if you look at it from what is it offering my life, then what happens is that possibility can turn into an opportunity. And an opportunity is based in enthusiasm. Excitement is outwardly controlled. It's controlled by the situation. Mm. Enthusiasm is inwardly controlled because it brings about a, a belief that this is. And it's in that belief in this is, not this can be, because that has doubt built into it. Mm. This is. And then that opens the door to internal motivation. 
And somehow, someday, we got to get people to understand the difference between outer motivation and inner motivation. And outer motivation is created by moments. Inner motivation is created by purpose, agenda, and commitment. And outer motivation, you can't let it, it won't last. But inner motivation, as long as you're strengthening that purpose, that agenda, and that commitment continues to grow. And when inner motivation grows, it creates momentum. Mm -hmm. And momentum is the flow of information or energy toward a positive positive direction. And this is why when I work with people, sometimes they tell me, I've lost my mojo. Mm -hmm. No, you didn't lose your mojo. You just had your mojo dependent on the wrong thing. Right. You can you can't contain or you can't keep outer motivation because moments change. But when we have that inner motivation, it, it's fed by three D's. Our desire. And I live with desire. I have a desire that desires for my life that I want. And those those are our manna, they're food for motivation. My determination. And I, I, this is not something I'm going to try to do. It's something that I will because I can. And then my discipline, which is what holds things together. And the more disciplined I am, the calmer I am, the calmer I am, the clearer I am, the clearer I am, the more confident I am. So it all comes from that inside out and from that enthusiasm that just bubbles. And mm. you can tell someone who's enthusiastic, can't you? Oh, yeah, you feel it. Like you feel it before maybe even you get near them. Yeah, and what you're, what you're feeling is their passion. Mm-hmm. That's what you feel. You feel their passion for what they're doing. Wow. We're, we're just getting started and we're already going so deep. I love it. Before we go on, I would love to tell our listeners what you do. Like, what is your business about and who do you work with and how do you support them? I think this will provide some insight. <laughs> Tracy, uh, I wear multiple hats. We do a series of small group retreats that are limited to 15 people. And these are on various topics. Like our next one coming up is Valentine weekend. We're doing a couples retreat. And the theme of it is if uh, marriages are made in heaven, why can't they be endured on earth? Mm-hmm. And it's a look at the, the design of a, that a relationship goes through over a period of time. And how do you build a solid foundation for it? And then we're going to do one this next year on um, leadership, the face of exceptional leadership. There's no leadership in our, our country today. There are people who have a position and they are a participant, but I don't see any real solid leadership. So I'm going to take you probably deeper than anyone's ever taken you into what is leadership and what's the difference between leader, leadership, and leading. And how do you put a face on it that people want to be a part of? And then we're going to do one more next year on controlling procrastination, Mm. which is the second most dysfunctional behavior that people have. And all of these will be on our, our website, richardflint.com. We also do an open mic every Friday that's free. And I lay out a question like this Friday, our question is, what are you thankful for? And then uh, I do a little introduction. We open the mics and people just talk. It's phenomenal. And then once a month, I do a virtual seminar, which is a paid seminar. 
Uh, it's, a, it's an hour, costs $49. And our, our next one is this coming Saturday, and it's on how to stand tall. How do you weather the moments of doubt, worry, and uncertainty so you can have that foundation of belief, trust, and faith? And then I do, I do mentoring. I take on 10 people a year, and I am their private mentor for one year in their life. If God's given me one gift, it's the ability to take what looks confusing to people and show them the pathway to clarity. And the interesting thing is, you can't present me with anything that I haven't helped people work through uh, because we go into all four rooms of your life, business, family, social, and personal, and we build a balanced life so that you take the conflict in any part of your life goes to the other parts of your life. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. There's, it's the only guaranteed trickle down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of what I, I do. And there are other things we're getting ready in January to open a mastermind group. Mm. Uh, that'll be limited to eight people. And what I want more than anything, Tracy, is I want to take the uniqueness of me and help people become better at who they are, smarter at what they do, and stronger in their self-projection of self. Mm. That drives me every day, every single day. Amazing. And you've authored, you know, a few books. Let's see. Uh, I think the number now is 19 books. That's incredible. I've got got two more that hope to have out next year. Uh, The next one is entitled, So What's Your Excuse? Mm. Because I find so many people live with self-limitations just because of their excuses. And one of my 16 philosophies that hold my life together is this. Anything you don't confront, you validate. Wow. Yeah. So if I don't confront your excuse, I validate it. Now it's no longer your issue because I've given you permission to be there. Right. Yeah. And people fear confrontation when all confrontation is, is the skill of resolution. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. It's a conversation that I would have with you. And it would be, Tracy, I have these concerns. Here's what's causing my concern. And what can you and I do to correct it? Mm -hmm. I use two singular pronouns because it's my concern, my cause. But when it comes to the correction, it has to be a plural pronoun. What can we do to correct it? And we fear things because we don't understand them. We just have opinions about them. Absolutely. Yeah. You said something interesting that I spend. So I'm a linguist by training before I on my long and winding road to where I've where I am now. And I pick up a lot on language patterns and I notice the impact that words have. And we talked about this a little bit when we met before, what are the kinds of things that you point out to people in language that helps them become more aware and make different choices? I try to remove words from people's life, like the word try. Mm, Yeah. Good. The wisdom of Yoda. Yeah. Well, try is a derivative of doubt. It's a byproduct of doubt. So every time you tell me, Richard, I'm going to try, you've already set yourself up. Right. I have to deal with doubt. Mm -hmm. The word problem. I think a problem is a situation or an event that a human chooses to hang on to so that they have a reason, excuse, or justification to not deal with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, for the books that I've written are dictionaries. 
And what I've done is in each dictionary, I've taken 150 words that we use all the time, that we really don't understand what we're saying, and I've redefined them. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's remarkable when you, because, you know, as a linguist, when you listen to people, how they say what they think they're saying is not always what they want to say. Right. Yes. No one ever points that out to people. And I'm like you. I listen to everything that people say. And I listen to their choice of words because it tells you their design. And it actually tells you what they're looking for in life. And boy, once you start making people aware of some of these words, like the word change, I try to remove the word change from people's lives and replace it with improvement. Because change is a word that comes to us from our emotions up. Improvement is a word that comes to us from our mind down. And I tell people, I'm never going to ask you to change anything in your life. But I am going to challenge you to improve in your life. And you and I, we live our life either thinking from our emotions up or our mind down. And we get into conflict within ourselves and with others when we're living and expressing from our emotions up. Because I would guarantee you this, that your husband probably sometimes has a challenge with you if you ever start coming and and talking from your emotions up. Yeah, he gets very quiet. (laughs) (laughs) It's like he's bracing himself for something. (laughs) But you can't communicate with people if you're strictly from your emotions up. And I'd offer this to your listeners. If you send me an email and tell me I was on this show with you, uh, I just finished writing uh, the 13 laws for effective communication. And it's an article that I've written. And I would love to send it to any of your listeners because the number one challenge in life is presentation. Presentation is about communication. And when I was in the, when I was running the counseling center or when I work with, uh, I do a lot of work with couples. I think God expressed his sense of humor through marriage. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because you always marry an opposite. And it, it's not about changing people. It's about learning to blend personalities. Mm. But I always pay attention to communication. And I, I think we're challenged today because in our world of technology, we communicate through things like Zoom. But do we really communicate? I mean, I can see you. I can hear you. But I don't experience you. We do that when we're face to face. And this is why I wrote this, this article on the 13 laws to effective communication. And if people would just send me an email, richard at richardflint.com, I'll have my office send it to them. It's not just me saying this, but people who have read it have told me it's a pretty profound discussion on building a solid foundation of communication. Mm -hmm. I think we pay communication a lot of lip service, but we don't actually dig in and do the work. Oh, well, well, this is why I'm known around the world for three words. Mm. Behavior never lies. Mm -hmm. That is my foundational principle that everything I design is built around. That truth is not what you say, it's what you do. 
And how many times have you experienced confusion in your life because someone said but didn't? And that affects respect. It affects trust. It affects whether I really want to talk to you or not. Mm-hmm. And it, it, defi- it can define where I place you in my life. Because behavior can't lie. It just can't do it. Since my kids were little, I've taught them like it's powerful and it's important to provide a verbal apology when you have wronged someone or done something that's that's harmed somebody in some way. However, the absolute best and most profound apology is a changed behavior. Now I might say improved now that you've you know pointed out <laughs> what the word changed, right? But you know, at that time, showing that you're willing to adjust how you behave is what really shows people that you, your sorry meant something or your apology meant something. So I love that. I get in trouble because of this, uh, Tracy, but I think forgiveness is not something you grant. It's something someone earns. Yeah. And people come back to me and say, you know, well, but what about the teachings in the Bible? And one of my degrees is from seminary. And I've, I've taken a long look at this. And every time that Christ forgave somebody, there was also a change in behavior that he asked for. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I come to you and I say, Tracy, I messed up. Forgive me. Okay. I go out and do it again. And I come back and say, you know, I messed up again. Forgiveness is something that people earn through the improvement of their behavior because an apology can be a lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And if there's no consequences, there's no reason to improve. And I, I, get into, I get into being challenged sometimes because of my thoughts about um, forgiveness. And if there's no real forgiveness, you can't forget. forget. Forgetting happens when behavior improves. Totally. I agree 100%. And I think it's interesting. A friend of mine told me about her therapist wanted her to read this book, Radical Forgiveness. and. She said, I feel so much shame and I feel so wrong because I am not willing to forgive someone who continues to knowingly or unknowingly cause harm. And I was like, then don't read the book. It'll be a waste of your time and energy. Right. And I'm, I'm not as eloquent as you are, but like my philosophy is like, you either forgive on your own terms so that you can have peace or there's no offer of forgiveness. Like they have to come and show you, right? In order to, like you said, to have earned it. I think that's a really interesting concept. And I would imagine it's very liberating to individuals, particularly people who have grown up in a church setting who have been taught this forgive and forget, like carte blanche. I grew up in a Baptist church in this in the Pacific Northwest. So I'm very familiar with this. And it's caused you know, a little religious trauma, some of the things that we were taught that were, you know, steeped in maybe an idea that sounds good, but not deeply connected to actual forgiveness. So you know something, Tracy, and again, this is gets controversial, but I think sometimes when you forget, but there's no improvement, mm-hmm. it calls for elimination. Mm. Because if a person continues to cause you pain and hurt because of their behavior, then that person is a wrong fit for your life. Right. And 
my conversation with people is real simple. Tracy, I want you to forgive me because I've allowed you to bring things to my life that are not acceptable for me. And I'm going to tell you no more, no longer. Yeah. So it puts us at a crossroads. Mm-hmm. You've either got to improve and step up or we have to step away. And that's not my choice. It's yours. Yeah. It's an interesting way of handing responsibility over to the person and taking responsibility for oneself, right? Like I am taking responsibility for my well-being by creating a firm boundary. And, you know, I like to talk about boundaries and say, you know, when you get really clear, really, really clear about what's important to you, where your morals are, where your integrity lies, the line you don't actually have to like guard your boundaries. They're just there. You may need to believe, right. And you may need to articulate that, right. And, and verbalize that to the people in your life or not. Not everybody deserves to hear your spiel. Some people, you just need to be, you know, surgically removed. You've used three very interesting words, accountability. Okay. Responsibility. And integrity. Mm-hmm. And what I see today is slowly we are seeking to erase those words from vocabulary. Mm-hmm. That people are not held responsible or accountable. Mm-hmm. And we always there's always an excuse or a reason. And you listen to our world today, and everything has a reason. And this is what's causing us to try to erase history because we don't want to face what was with responsibility and accountability. And when I, when I look at society today, where is integrity when nothing is wrong? Oh, oh, excuse me. It's wrong. If I don't agree with you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. We're at that place for sure. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's weakening the fiber of our nation. Mm -hmm. And who and what defines right and wrong today? And it seems to be an opinion, not a foundation. Mm -hmm. And that concerns me. Yeah, it's very worrying. I just just have been reading this book called Native, and I don't have it in front of me, so I can't remember the name of the author, Caitlin something. And she is, I think, mostly Native American, a little bit of European um, background. And she was talking about healing and the role that like, for example, the church can play in healing. And this is going like out into the weeds and definitely not my area of expertise, but I thought it was so fascinating the way she explained a process by which taking responsibility, having the hard conversations, confronting what white supremacy has done within the church, within the patriarchy, within you know, all the systems and how having the hard conversations, being willing to listen to one another without, you know, you might feel defensive, but without behaving in a defensive way has the, you know, the power to heal. And she, you know, described a couple of situations in which that was happened at like um, church conventions and meetings and stuff. And I thought that was so fascinating to listen. And it doesn't have to be church, but this was the example that she used that the difficult conversations, the facing the reality, the listening to erasure and not forcing people who have been marginalized to 
justify their existence or justify their indignation and to just listen and how healing that can be. So I think it's a really powerful thing when we, you know, are willing to take responsibility, we're willing to be accountable and we're willing to, you know, operate with a high level of integrity. So it takes a lot of work to do all of those things. Yeah. And the interesting thing, Tracy, is that you and I are two things. We are a person, which is what I see. When I look at you, I see a person. But you and I are also a personality. Mm -hmm. And the personality is what I experience. We have gotten so caught up in the person, the color of their skin, you know, what we, what we think about that person, that we don't get time to learn and understand the personality. Mm-hmm. I will never know you until I invest time in getting to know Tracy's personality. You know, I bet you've said this. You know what? I like that person, but I don't like being around them. I don't enjoy being around them. What you don't enjoy is the personality. Mm-hmm. I took five years of my life and I did some research and it's a program I do called the day at the zoo. And it's a comparative study of 18 animals and their personalities to people that you and I are around. And how do you become a zookeeper with the people around you? How do you learn to see beyond the person and understand their personality in order to be able to be efficiently effective with the person. It's one of the most humorous and one of the most insightful things I've ever done. Mm, it sounds like we'll fun. Yeah, we'll be doing that again next year at one of our small group retreats. We just finished doing it two weekends back to back because the interest was just so great. Mm, I love it. Yeah, it, and you're right. It's funny because you never look at people again. You look at them and go, two hump camel. Right. <laughs> You know, yeah, they fit. I worked personally with every one of these animals. I, I spent time at the Miami Metro Zoo working and living with the animals to get to know who they really are. And every time I looked at it, all I saw was people. <laughs> That's fascinating. That must be a lot of fun. I would imagine that people leave that weekend transformed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I used the analogy of kittens once for one of my clients who was struggling with some people on her team who were just not behaving very well. And what she was describing was really a lack of direction and a lack of leadership that she needed to handle. But I said, well, what if you look at these people like kittens with a ball of string and all that kitten energy, right? And unless they're giving something to focus on, they're just wild. <laughs> just batting it all over the place and running around and, you know, running into walls and sliding on the floor and all that. And it, it was funny because she said, now I get it. Like if I want their focus, it's like, I need to get out that little, we call it the red dot in our house for our pets, right? The little laser dot and put it on the floor and go, this is what we're doing now. And it's not because they can't handle responsibility or whatever. It's that they weren't being given direction. They didn't understand the purpose of the things that she was asking them to do. She would just sort of pass it off. And she learned a lot about herself, but she also learned about them to have just a different sense of compassion. So yeah. it's very cool. Can I throw one more term out? Cause we talked about sure. that. Today. Yeah. And it's a, again, this one gets me in trouble, but I don't believe in teams. I think from my research and my study, the majority of teams Punish the strong and reward the weak. 
Because what we're always doing, we're asking the strong to step up. And we're not holding the weak accountable. So what we do is we exhaust our quality people. My term that I like is not team, it's partnership. Mm-hmm. It's building a partnership among people where you share a common purpose, a common agenda, and a common commitment. If you don't have those three, it becomes the kittens running all over the place. Mm-hmm. But you need those three purpose. Who are we? Agenda. How are we going to achieve who we are? Commitment. Are we all in agreement to what we're here to do? And it's just, it's hard for people because we've thrown that word team around so much. But we punish the qualities and strong people because we keep asking them to do more rather than challenging other people to step up. And that's my challenge with team. I never thought about it that way. I use the word team instead of like staff or employee. Mm -hmm. Um, But I love the word partner. That's interesting. I'm going to play around with that and see what happens when I... Yeah, Talk because clients this way. Partner, partner involves ownership, does it not? Mm, it does. And that's where I think could be a sticking point for some. So I work with a lot of physicians and uh, practitioners in private practice, and sometimes scientists could stay on that linear path. But I think it would be interesting to share the concept, yeah. the idea it's, of partnership. It's a, yep. It's emotional partnership. Mm-hmm. We're building an emotional partnership. That's what purpose, agenda, and commitment are about. It's yeah. an emotional partnership. As a linguist, I am so fascinated by these things. Like I haven't studied neurolinguistic programming. I sort of get the gist of it, but I don't haven't like, you know, done any advanced studies on it or anything. But as a person who, when I was studying languages in university, there was so much cultural and nuanced stuff that you have to learn. And then you have to learn all the rules. And then you learn which rules are allowed to be broken in language, in, in, in the concept of language. It gave me so much insight to human behavior and the languages that I've studied have been Latin languages, romance languages. And I, I just laugh at the way things are phrased and how you see that played out in, in the culture. So it's a, it's a fascinating thing to think about playing with shifting from team from that perspective that the weak are rewarded and the strong are, are punished, that if you use the word partnership and you think of it from the perspective of an emotional partnership, that that just opens up so much more possibility for what can be accomplished. And the thing that I strive for, for my clients especially, is that their team feels connected and fulfilled and in partnership with them. So yeah, maybe See, we just don't use the that- word team anymore. Yeah, that partnership, that what you're talking about, that's about all of us having a common purpose. Mm-hmm. We're together. Yeah. All of us having a common agenda. We're together. Yeah. Common commitment. We're together. And when you have that common partnership agenda and commitment, you have solidarity. But that takes work. And yes, it does. Word, yeah, you use the word that's important. That takes leadership. Mm-hmm. And with many of the clinics and that I've worked with, the doctor doesn't like the leadership role. No, almost almost none of my clients enjoy that. Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. they have they, they have that that manager, office manager, or staff manager. Mm-hmm. And but yet if they don't understand their role, 
they can contradict everything that it, that's trying to be achieved with their yes. behavior. Yes. This is, this is a drum I beat constantly. <laughs> <laughs> constantly. Like, shout it from the mountaintops, Richard. You're singing my song. Like, really, I mean, it's some people think that it's like a semantics type of thing when you say, well, what's the difference between a leader and a manager? Well, whoo. Do you want the short list or like a Reader's Digest version or the whole novel, right? But it can be very nuanced. It takes a certain desire and a willingness to make a commitment to to rise to that level. And it's one of the things that I teach my clients, like your business will demand it of you at some point. And if not, being in the medical field you will have the same high turnover rates as, you know, the hospitals do and whatever. And it is extremely expensive for time, energy, and dollars to have high turnover. It's mentally and emotionally draining. You can never quite get on the right rhythm. And so if we look at leadership from the perspective of my own commitment to my vision and inviting in partnership, my staff or my team to connect to this vision, this higher purpose for that, for this business, that is a huge game changer. Like it's one of the most radical shifts I've seen with some of my clients who come to me. Usually they're not like, you know, desperate when they come to me, but they're struggling. The growth and the scale of their business is terribly draining. One of the things that I'm going to cover in my leadership retreat is I think there's a word that has to be added that's missing. We talk about uh, the leader, the manager, but Mm -hmm. there is a a third word, and that's a guide. Someone has to guide the direction. And without a guide, leaders lack, and managers are confused. Someone has to set the course. And so we're going to talk about those words, leader, leadership, and leading. Leader to me is the person, leadership is the process, and leading is the implementation. Mm-hmm. And But if I'm missing that guide, then I don't know where we're going. And you've got to have dealt with practices that had no idea where they were going. No. I mean, yes and no, they didn't. They had no idea where they were going. And it's it's a problem. And... It's a one. And I, it's a problem. It's a oh yeah, it's a, it's a I forgot a the word that you a challenge. Yes, I think it's a real it's an well what it is is it's an opportunity to be honest. I I will do something that I call an honest inventory with my clients and I always do all these things in the very beginning to slow them down and have them take a really close look and they love it and they hate it and then they appreciate it when they can see how much it clears out the chaos. To me, it's really fascinating because it's it's not industry specific what I do. I, as I mentioned to you, I've you know niched down my the market that I work with for my own agenda, right? But as I've worked with professional business owners over the last eleven years, I see a pattern, and it's not industry specific. However, there are some industries where it's much more prevalent to see the chaos and the confusion. So I, and, and that's, you know, not my area to study, but I'd be fascinated to see someone else might study it, what the personality indications are. Cause I think so much of it is related to personality. You know, one of the things I love to do, and I do this when I work with, with companies is I'll take what they call their leadership team and I'll take them individually. 
and I want 30 minutes with him. And I just have one question for him. What five words do you think describe where y'all are right now? Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And then you take that, that, inter, that inner circle because every company has an inner circle. And you take that inner circle and then you bring them together and show them what they, the five words that they used. And it'll show you exactly whether there's clarity or confusion. Mm-hmm. The number one word in probably 95% of the time is communication. Mm. Many doctors uh, are not good communicators. No. They're good at giving orders. Yeah. But they're not good communicators. Yes. And they expect their, their, their staff to read their mind. <laughs> yes, they do. I can attest to this. And, you know, with, right. with all kinds of love and respect, yes. Yeah. The other thing that... <laughs> is they put out what they're thinking about, not what they need. And their staff says, okay, that's what they want us to do. So they go do it. And the doctor goes, why are you doing that? Well, that's what you said. No, I was thinking out loud. Yeah. It's humor. I, I have a lot of fun working with my, so I, I kind of do things two ways in my business. I have the one-on-one personal coaching that I do with the practice owner. I very often move into a consulting role where I work with their whole team. It just is such a natural flow. Their whole, their whole what? Their whole partnership, all of their partners. <laughs> <laughs> and it's yeah, I'll have to unlearn that word and just like push it push it out of my vocabulary. Uh, but it's so fascinating to see who gets it and who doesn't get it yep. when we start talking vision and direction and strategy and commitment and all the things that need to happen in order for the for their practice to grow they want it to grow or to multiply or scale or whatever it is that they're doing to get it to that level and one of my favorite clients that I work with has their nurse manager who really runs the practice and she worked with him in another setting before she came on board with them And she told me one day, she goes, God, I swear, I swear one day my brain went from like nurse science to like business and strategy. (laughs) I was like that to me, okay. I started geeking out about just the awesomeness of being connected to the purpose and understanding it that yes, when she's with patients, she's delivering, you know, the highest care and probably at the same time thinking about all the business stuff, but she'll be able to switch hats and kind of go back and forth and work on strategy, which was really, you know, she, I would say she's the guide of that practice, right? She's the person who can, can take the vision and move it forward. So it's really cool. All great leaders to me share five characteristics and they come in an order. They listen Mm -hmm. with their eyes and their ears. They enable, they adapt, they direct, they energize, and they revisit. Do you work with businesses as well? I know you said you work primarily with couples or you work with a lot of couples, but do you also yeah, do no, like corporate most work? What I, most of what I work with are business owners. Okay. And it's in, in today's world, uh, what I try to get them to see are the needs in this environment that we're in today for three A's. Adapt. This is a new business model we're working in. So where do you need to adapt? And those are fairly easy conversations. Mm -hmm. The second A is where it gets tough. 
what adjustments then do you need to make? Which means I got to look at our routines that we've become comfortable with. And then the third A, how do you align this newness to your growth? I don't know if you see this, but I see a lot of businesses talk about growth, but they never prepare for it. Oh, all the time. I mean, this is probably the biggest pain point. Yeah, mm-hmm. they do good because they have staff meetings and they talk about improvement. They talk about growth and then they walk out and everybody's excited, but it never happens. Oh, this is, you're describing one of my clients to a T. They're multiple providers and their biggest pain point is the rate of growth and all the conversations and like nothing happening. And it's not true that nothing's happening, but there's the implementation is left begging in part because they're growing at such a rapid pace. They can't keep up. And they weren't absolutely not prepared for that. And my clients usually come to me at one of two stages. One, they're getting to the point where it's really growing and they don't, they want to make sure they get in front of it. And they're not quite sure what to do. That's a great time. So I have an operations background. That's a great time for me to enter or they've had rapid growth and they're waking up at three o'clock in the morning and go cold sweat imagining and dreaming that their business is a monster biting its head off. <laughs> so, so, you know, we have, and, and I go back to your business will demand that you rise to leadership, whether you embrace that role or not. So you have to, I mean, well, they don't have to, but they get the option to, to choose what they want to do with that information. And it's, you know, I can show them in their data. Boom, 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 boom. Here's what's happening. Here's your turnover. Here's, you know, all that. So I think it's, it's a, uh, I, I mean, I just, we could go on for hours talking about this. It's so fascinating watching what happens when they get to a point where it's time to make a decision and the decision changes everything. Mm-hmm. That's what puts everything in motion. So, The number one thing that I, uh, I, I look for when I go into for companies that I want to grow are who are stuck mm-hmm. is all built around the word pace. Is your pace too slow or too fast? Mm-hmm. I mean, growth sounds exciting until you wake up one day and realize you can't manage it. Right. It's managing you. Yep. And then you wake up one day and you, you think about, we're living in a world of good intentions, but we don't have the design to keep the pace manageable so that we can grow at a manageable pace. Yes. And it's the same thing that's true in human life. I look at people and I want, to, I want to talk about the pace of their life. Mm-hmm. Because when the pace is right, you get three things. You get the right pace. You get patience, mm-hmm. which is a huge word. And when those two come together, then you know where to be persistent. I love that. And pace and patience are twins. If my pace is too fast, I lose patience. If I don't have patience, I speed my pace up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you used the word earlier, too, but how much of what we want for people comes down to self-actualization? Being honest. One of the things I learned at the Counseling Center, Tracy, that I think always thought was so funny, is most people want honesty as long as it's not honest. Right. <laughs> oh, it's so true. It's like, I, I think of that movie with Tom Cruise where he screams, you can't handle the truth. It's like, yeah. <laughs> so true. Yeah. That wasn't Top Gun. That was um, it's like the one oh, about Wall movie. Street or something. Yeah. 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 That was just, yeah. And I love this because 
I ask people all the time, are you really looking for the truth? And I ask people too, do you always want everyone in your life to be totally honest with you? (laughs) 99% of the time, no. No, not always. Always, right? Yeah. Uh, Because truth involves accountability and responsibility and integrity. Mm. Yeah. Three words. Yeah. And and to quote the late great Maya Angelou, once we know better, we get to do better. And I would say it's imperative that we do better. How here's the other strange thing. How do they define better? Right. Well, yeah, right. Psychologically, that is a very interesting term. Right. Yeah. What does better mean? You know, an improvement of what kind, right? And this is where, again, in leadership, communication is the key. And when I teach about communication, we slow way down. We learn first about ourselves and what makes us tick. And then we go into observing others and what makes them tick and what they respond to. Do they talk fast? Do they talk in pictures? Do they use really flowery language and move their hands a lot? Because that will tell you a lot about how they will receive from you. And it's not manipulative if you learn someone else's language and speak to them in their language. Well, and one of the things that I work with too is when I talk to about uh, communication is, do you talk through fear or freedom? Mm. Wow. Yeah. Because from the day that I was born and you were born, Tracy, we live with six fears that we fight with every day of our life. The fear of the unknown. And, you know, you see this in your clients. The fear of abandonment, being left alone. The fear of failure. Fear of rejection. Fear of loss, which is the price tag, which slows a lot of people down. And then the number one fear with young people, the fear of success, because young people have not been taught success. They've been taught being enabled. That's a big one. You know, that's something that the fear of success, I think most people, and I want our listeners to like lean in and listen to this carefully. I think most people would say, I'm not afraid of success. That's what I'm striving for. But Usually when we, again, do that honest inventory and the the honest inventory is not just about your business. It's about who you are as a person. When we do that, we learn about our tolerations. We learn about what lies we might be telling or stories maybe is a better way to put it. What stories we might be telling ourselves. Okay. Lies. Well, I think, you know, I think we tell ourselves a lot of lies and it may be a message that was handed over to us or that we willingly paid for and purchased and took with us. So I think it's a lot of my clients initially will say all this slowing down is so frustrating. I always warn them, we're going to slow down. You'll either appreciate it or you might hate it, but you will eventually appreciate it because it'll give you so much insight. When we do that, we get to learn most people figure out what stories and lies they've attached to success fascinating. If I were a psychologist, I would be wanting to do a lot of, a lot of work on it. I I think it's just really, really interesting. So we have all those fears, but I think that probably the most challenging one that I've experienced with my clients is success because they have to unlearn a lot of, pardon me, but crap in order to paint a new picture and tell a new story. Well, a couple of things real quick. Success. When people tell me, oh, I want to be successful. 
then I talk about, are you willing to take the risk involved? Mm -hmm. Do you really trust that you have the skills to do this? And then number three, are you willing to pay the price tag? And it's not financial, it's emotional. Yeah. One more thing real quick, because I know I know we've gone more time than we I think we scheduled. Um, but as a psychologist, I believe that yesterday is a reference library, not a room to live in. Mm-hmm. And it's filled with two sets of file cabinets. One set of file cabinets are all of the wrongs, all of the things that have happened in my life that I feel are, are wrong and disappointments, frustrations, or another file cabinet over here with all my successes. Mm. And what you find is most people have a bigger file cabinet with their disappointments, frustrations, and failures than they do with their successes. And I ask him, which file cabinet are you using the most? Because most of what we do with today is what we've taken from yesterday. There is no failure in today. It's what we bring from yesterday that defines the day we're going to have. So which file cabinet are you living in? I love, I'm assuming this comes through in your teaching. I love the analogies and the metaphors that you use because when we can put like the file cabinet, I can picture that. I'm not a visual person normally, but I can picture pulling open the file cabinet and browsing through the files and making a decision or going to, for me, it would be the next drawer of the file cabinet, right? Okay, that's the one I want to pull the files from, not the other. So I think that's really, really helpful and and probably makes a huge impact. I'm certain that you make a huge impact in people's lives with the work that you do. And I'm just, I'm thrilled that we've had a chance to have this conversation. Um, Before we wrap up, so I know you've mentioned your website before. Are there any other places where people might want to find you or connect with you? The main place is go to our website, richardflint.com and see all the things we're doing. Uh, And especially check out my morning minute, which is uh, a 60 second video I send out every morning with one of my philosophies of life and every month's a different theme. Uh, Like this month, our theme is Thanksgiving. I wonder why. I wonder. (laughs) It comes 365 days a year. Every day is a different thought. Every day is a different piece of philosophy. But you'll see everything that we're doing. And I challenge you, take a look at who I am and what I can bring to your life. Because I'm living a crusade that is my ministry and helping people become better, smarter, and stronger with their life. And I'll say this to you, Tracy, I do a lot of these podcasts and I get interviewed a lot. I like you. Mm. You are very easy to talk to. And I like your head. And I don't say that about everybody. I like your mind because you are passionate and committed about what you're doing. And your clients are very, very lucky to have you. Mm. Thank you. You're you're one of the 2%. And I believe that only 2% of people want to improve their life. The rest want to talk about it, but I would put you in my 2% club. I like you, lady. I like who you are. Oh, I appreciate that, Richard. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Before we sign off, do you have any parting wisdom you'd like to share with our listeners? And, and, you know, knowing that they're running the gamut in their stages of entrepreneurship, whether they're, they're starting out or they're already successful, or they've got a side hustle that they're thinking about transitioning to their full-time gig, any thoughts for them? Yep. One of my philosophies, and this is my second law of life, live your life to create a positive presence that has presence when you're not present. 
That's called legacy. Live your life to create a positive presence that has presence when you're not present. And by the way, that's the foundation to genuine leadership. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I look forward to future conversations with you. I know that we'll stay in touch. I've just really, yeah. I would do this with you anytime. I love it. Well, I want, I encourage our listeners to go check out his website. If, you know, we were talking when we met before about there's a thirst, there's a yearning. I feel like it's, you know, if it's a shift in consciousness, I'm not sure what it is, but I think the, this pandemic has forced a lot of people to slow down and the people who decided to also pay attention while slowing down or I believe, and I'm definitely seeing lifting their heads and wanting something different. And for our listeners, check out Richard's website and see what resonates with you and the work that he's doing. Cause it's truly, you know, remarkable and transformative. Let me just remind them. If you'd like to have a copy of those 13 laws for communication, send me an email, Richard at richardflint.com. And I'll have my staff send it to you. Wonderful. We'll make sure all of this is in the show notes so you can click or copy and paste however your format works for that. But oh, Richard, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for Thank being you. here. I really appreciate you. And I appreciate you taking your time to come and share your story and your insights. It's been, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much, Tracy. Thank you for listening to this episode of Entrepreneur Mindset Reset. If you liked what you heard, be sure to click the subscribe button so you'll never miss a show. Please leave us a review and tell your friends about us so more people can hear the valuable information we share in each episode. We look forward to hearing from you and celebrating your success.